Hey, Guerrilla Social Work fans. This is episode number 34. This episode of the podcast, as always, is brought to you by Alpha Counseling and Treatment. Alpha is the largest and most respected treatment provider in the great state of Utah for any clients involved in the criminal justice system. Any type of legal problem you're trying to resolve, be that a sexual offense, substance use, or anything really, Alpha is the place to be. Alpha is dedicated to the healthy development and healing of our clients. Alpha is committed to providing evidence-based practice that provides the greatest likelihood of our clients making positive changes and improving their lives. Make a commitment to yourself today and call Alpha at 801-645-5455 or email us at info at utahsbesttherapy.com. And as always, visit our website at the always modest www.utahsbesttherapy.com. So today's episode is about emotional regulation, specifically in kind of these COVID times. Um, you know, emotional regulation refers to a person's ability to engage in, in healthy strategies to manage uncomfortable emotions and stressful situations. And what we find is that people that have good emotional regulation skills are kind of able to control urges to act on impulses or act in risky ways during emotional distress. So sometimes when people get stressed out, they act weird, they do things that don't result in the best outcomes for them, and these are the type of, stra- type of strategies that we're trying to teach. Um, so we'll go over those. It was a good talk with Jeff. Um, we hope you enjoy it. Thanks. All right, man. You ready for this? Yeah, finally back at it. Got to quit having these big gaps between times. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with us. I don't know, like, if it's because we just don't, uh, I don't know, get around to it when we need to be or or what the problem is. But, uh, yeah, we're back. So hopefully everybody's uh, staying safe out there. Um, <laughs> dude, did you, did you listen to the most recent... Uh, King and the Sting episode. No, what happened? It, dude, it was it was really funny. Um, so, well, it's actually you have to watch it. It's it, because there's so Brendan and the they they uh, there's these uh, chips. I think they're like tortilla chips. They look like tortilla chips, and they come in like a package, and the package is just saying like how hot they are, and they're supposed to be like ridiculous ridiculously hot tortilla chips right so anyway sure they they start eating them and oh my god it is so funny because they just eat them at first and then like they go through hell for about 10 minutes like it's just is it like one of those like delayed onset like the 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 fire doesn't hit you right at first yeah (laughs) yeah yeah dude it's 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 pretty damn funny i i was why why is watching people like suffer hilarious i don't know but it is yeah (laughs) like like watching people eat spicy stuff kicked in the nuts like so like like something's always funny well falling down yeah and the funny thing was is that they were they were um well before so they, it, it's funny because they were like playing a game beforehand and then they started, and then they started before they, before they started doing it, they ended up, um, they all just agreed. We're all going to take it. Everybody, even the, like the producers did it and everybody's in just so much pain. So were they acting or like, did, like, did it, like how hot could it have been? It was like ghost pepper type stuff. I don't know, man. It, it seemed hotter than that. Like, oh, shit. Yeah, I, he, 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 you'd, you'd have to. Yeah, just just 
just watch is what all I right, would say. All right, fair enough. Yeah. So, so anyway, um, what we uh, what are we talking about today, my friend? Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, things are a little different in 2020. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> things are a little different. Now we're talking about COVID. You know, uh, I mean, and, and you and I don't have much to say about you know, the, the disease itself, what the hell do we know what we're talking about? But we, we've certainly seen the impact with like mental health specifically, as well as the impact it's had on our clients, you know, uh, both like our substance abuse population, as well as the sex offense population. And, you know, I figure that there's a, there's a, there's something, there's a discussion to be had about the impacts of COVID on mental health in general, kind of what to do about it. And then some of the way it manifests in our, in our clients. And maybe we have some ideas for those of you that are therapists listening in, uh, when it comes to helping manage this stuff. Yeah. There. So, um, so of course I was pulling up some, some research to kind of support what we were talking about here. And, um, there was, you know, the interest, it was kind of the cool thing about it was, is there was a ton of articles about this and um, <laughs> so Jeff was very critical about making sure that we were focused on one that was uh, that was for um, the uh, for the United States because there was ones from Italy, there was ones published in like Pakistan or something like that, and he wasn't about it. So anyway, <laughs> it's not very multicultural of me, I guess. But <laughs> I want to well, focus on the USA? It's yeah, unique, no. it's, it's, and it's what I know. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so basically here, this was, uh, the, the, this, um, this was on, uh, pubmed.com, pubmed.gov actually. And, uh, the title of the article was psychological distress during the COVID-19 lockdown. And then, um, the sub, the subtitle says the young adults most at risk. So young adults in this category, um, this, this study evaluate, evaluated the psychological distress related to the crisis and it identified predictive factors of anxiety and depression according to age. And so there was 2,871 adults recruited for this, and they, they took an online questionnaire during the lockdown. And the, the three subsamples that were identified were 18 to 30, so that was the young adults, 30 to 50, and then, um, and then uh, over 50 years. So um, that's what, uh, that's what we, were, we were going from. So... The and and all the population that was on this suffers from anxiety and depression, and young adults reported uh, lower levels of living space, occupational activity, social contact, and alcohol use, but higher anxiety, depression, and uncertainty than older participants. So, um, basically, they just said this psychological distress can be explained by the lockdown conditions differently according to age and by intolerance to the uncertainty. So that, I guess that's kind of a good place to start as far as this stuff goes. Um, I mean, when it comes to at least, uh, I, I guess when I think about, uh, the, you know, like the causes of anxiety, it seems to be one of the most important or one of the most prevalent causes of anxiety is just lack of knowledge, right? What was the, what, what, uh, what did, that president say one time, there's nothing to fear, but fear itself. Sure. And, and really what that, I mean, if you, if you never really understood what that meant, kind of the way I've wrapped that around my mind was 
uh, fear of the unknown is just unknowing what's going to happen is what people actually fear. And I think that's naturally a cause of, of anxiety, like uncertainty and everything. So I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that, man? Uh, yeah. Like the, the experts don't even seem to fully know. I think that's what really throws people off. So, you know, you have the, the world leaders, you have doctors of various stripes and like the people that we typically turn to, to increase our knowledge about something, because yeah, like that's like what it is. If if you you know if you are facing some type of malady, and you aren't really sure what to expect, your anxiety is going to go up. I I was just thinking about this with, uh, well, a few years ago, I had to get uh, surgery on my biceps. I had two surgeries on my biceps because I have like really weak biceps. I guess torn both of them doing stupid stuff, but. Going uh, when I first tore my bicep, I I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know, you know, the recovery time if I'd ever be able to do the stuff I love to do, all these things. And my fear went way up. And uh, you know, quick review of WebMD made it worse. But <laughs> did, did, <laughs> yeah. it, did it tell you you were gonna have yeah. cancer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah, like no bicep matter, cancer. No matter what, like I've got a runny nose, yeah. and then it tells you you have cancer. I'm like, damn, dude. Like yeah. I love WebMD. It's worthless, absolutely pointless. Basically, yeah. Uh, but meeting with my actual doctor helped, though. He he set my mind at ease. I told him, you know, I'm pretty athletic type of guy, and. You know, he, he, he filled me in. He let me know that if I listened to him and I actually went through the rehabilitation that in this amount of time, I think it was like 12 weeks or something, uh, that I'd be back, I'd be back in action. And that immediately took my anxiety down because I trusted him. He's a, you know, he's a doctor. It was a super experienced type of dude. And you know, how many bicep surgeries have been performed? Like, I mean, uh, thousands and thousands at least. And so what, what was the recovery time on that then? Uh, 12 weeks. It, it took longer to get back to hundred percent, but 12 weeks before I was cleared to do, you know, to do, do like jujitsu and weightlifting. So obviously that was disappointing though. 12 weeks was, I mean, Oh, killer. Right. Right. I, but, I, I can barely go. I can't even go like a week without doing what I want to do. Well, so that kind of, that, that's what part of that, that's the part that kind of fascinates me about this whole thing is, um, I mean, and I see this all the time when I'm in the, in the jail, you know, like, uh, I'll be, so we'll be interviewing clients who, you know, acute mental health clients in the jail. They're cute mental health clients. Cute. <laughs> yeah. They're little cuties. Yeah. A little cu- couple of cutie pies. That's how I open up my session. I'm like, Hey, cutie pie. <laughs> yeah. And then after they puke on my shoes, then that so, the- what brings you to my office today? <laughs> so acute mental health, like a C U T E. Um, no space in there either. Yeah. Uh, but just essentially there, I mean, they're dealing with some really, you know, uh, uh, volatile, intense, emotional distress at the time that I'm talking to them. And the one thing that I've noticed is that um, they have really, you know, court cases that are coming up that could uh, determine their freedom for the next 10 years sometimes or even longer. And, uh, you know, they're worried about how this is going to impact their families, their kids, and, um, I mean, them, of course. Yeah. Um, And the weird thing is, is, you know, it's all the lead up to that. I mean, when they go to court, and even even when they get bad news, even when they get sentenced to ten years at a time, they still do really good with that news. They, like they they're fine after that. The emotional distress tends to kind of go down 
because now they have more information and that that kind of likens to what you're saying because even though you got bad news that you were going to have 12 weeks um of you know and that that was going to suck at least you knew you you knew there was an end date and that seemed to lower that you know i think there's something to that exactly right yeah it, i mean it like you said, it was a bummer finding out that 12 weeks before I could start doing what I love again. But yeah, it was an answer. And I, I believe the answer to be reliable because again, uh, this doctor had done a million of these surgeries. He'd seen it before a million. Yeah. Thousands. Well, him personally, probably a hundred. I don't know. But the, 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 how many surgeries have you done? A billion, billion. a million billion (laughs) bicep surgeries, you idiot. (laughs) Oh man. All right. Slaps your face. (laughs) (laughs) You can get out of my office. But with this novel coronavirus, you know, there's, I mean, I, I, I think our doctors are the, you know, top flight, best of the world, you know, and the, but yeah, look, it's, it's not hard to find inconsistencies in what we're supposed to be doing. Even like, like with Fauci, you know, top doc, and, uh, you know, I mean, best we can do is trust what he has to say, but I mean, there's even says, been... Says you. Yeah, well, right? I mean, there's been inconsistency I, there as I'm, well. I'm kidding. I, dude, it's like... Like you know, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's just so funny sometimes when I hear... Well, and, and that, to me, um, like, okay, well, to me, so that... So, so I guess if what we're saying, if, if we if we link that with what's going on right now, right? Um, I think being on lockdown and kind of not knowing, you know, so I think the the WHO declared, uh, the WHO, not the WHO, not the band. band. (laughs) Thanks for clarifying. I was confused. Yeah, Yeah. well, wow, they know a lot about pandemics. Um, So the WHO, they declared the COVID-19 outbreak as a pandemic. It was on March 11th of of 2020, right? And so we're now, uh, you know, seven months later into this. Uh, We're, you know, October 16th at this point. And, um, and, and they, they, and governments across the world had, had put into place, you know, these restrictive measures. So lockdown, social distancing, uh, voluntary isolation, all those things. Right. And, um, they've clearly disrupted people's lives and their jobs. And uh, so I think people, there's a number of concerns that, that are coming out about this. Um, and, and a big, a, the big question is, is okay, when is, when is this all going to end, right? Uh, when is this all going to end? And so whether <laughs> – I was joking about Dr. Fauci, by the way. Don't cancel us. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I don't know the dude. I, I mean, he always sounds like he's got phlegm in his mouth, like, at all times. Like, have you ever noticed that? No. He's, like, so raspy. I'm like, damn, yeah. dude, will you cough? Yeah, clear like, your throat, bro. Yeah. So uh, – but – but there's so many like for every Dr. Fauci, there's another doctor that is saying maybe not as intense as him, but saying something different, right? And then um, depending on your media outlet of choice, um, you're going to receive a variety of information. And, and I have to imagine that the uncertainty of okay, when is this going to end? Um, are any of my family members going to be affected? If if I get this. Uh, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to lose my livelihood? All these questions about the uncertainty, and then you have a million different, uh, you know, resources of information all telling you different things. Right. So that just to me compounds the uncertainty and makes it even worse. I mean, if anything, it would seem like the anxiety has gotten worse over time as a result of that. 
dude. And then you throw an election on top of it with, you know, different parties telling you completely different things. And it's like the, it it somehow, I mean, I don't know how this will be, you know, 30 years from now looking back on, on 2020, but like right now it feels like the fate of the world, like rests upon like this moment in time. And we're supposed to make a decision in both like what we do in our, our personal lives, the way we conduct ourselves in, uh, you know, within our own family, the, what we do at work or not work, uh, you know, for, for those of you that are out of work, like how you make ends meet, who you're going to vote for. Cause that has implicate, like, like there's like so much, rests on our shoulders as far as decisions to make. And we, we are getting a million different answers. That uncertainty drives anxiety through the roof. Yeah. And you know, it's so, I mean, um, I, I pay attention to this quite a bit. I mean, pay attention to like vaccine trackers and whatnot. And like, uh, so what I, what I've heard is that, um, the, so what, so the vaccine should be available for this by the end of the year. And then, um, you know, before the end of the year and then widespread distribution, at least to Americans at this point, um, is going to be somewhere in like June-ish or July-ish, right? And it, it, but see, to me, if that were the case and that was a solid answer, I think that people could deal with that a little bit better. Right. I mean, right? I mean, even – so that's what – If uh, we had confidence in that, that, okay, we make it to June. By June, this vaccine, which has been vetted and proven and tested and reliable, will will cure everybody. Like, I mean, that's like – way too optimistic that but but if if we if such a condition existed i think the anxiety would go down the collective anxiety would go down well yeah i mean even about the vaccine i mean politics aside people are just so damn funny like so uh, um this wasn't like another politician this was this was a a person that i was talking to and and i well i wasn't even talking to them actually i, sh- I should say i overheard something but they were just talking about how uh, they were talking to somebody else about the vaccine and um and th- they th- th- this is what they said they said if trump's still in office i'm not taking the vaccine i'm like <laughs> <laughs> I was well, like, well, I was well, like, hold on. Who are you hurting? Well, yeah, I was yeah. like, do you, do you think he made it? Yeah. <laughs> he's, just, he's just down in his basement. He's in a lab coat. Yeah, he's just yeah, yeah. mixing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, damn, dude. Yeah, you got to think that through a little. Right. But, but I mean, well, and uh, okay, and it's statements like that that I think are, are the byproduct of this emotional right. stress. Like irrational, impulsive reactions to these things are are the byproduct of this emotional distress and so i mean even if i was listening to um did you did you catch the the most recent episode of rogan with uh tom papa yeah dude that by far and away rogan you love that dude he is my favorite guest i don't know why it's like he just sets me at ease every time he's talking he's so damn nice nicest guy ever yeah and um even when Rogan was trying to push him this time, but it, he oh, yeah. he said he was talking to somebody, and and of course this is not a source of information. I'm just saying they gave a number, and they said you know, uh, pandemics historically take about 18 months to do their thing, and then they tend to go away. I mean, it, it, I think if even you told everybody, hey, it's going to be a hard 18 months. After that, everything's fine, right? Like I think we could all deal with that. I think we could all just cope with that. You know yep. what I mean? And it it seems like. I mean, again, again, science-wise, um, I don't know what a people's opinions are on masks and social distancing and lockdowns and all the rest of it. But I think even if some rules were put into place and said, do this for 18 months and we'll be through it, 
I'm pretty sure a lot of us could get on board, but but that uncertainty is is a lot of what's kind of killing us. No one's able to give that number definitively. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so let's let let's talk a little bit about what we do, I guess. I mean, because really it's it's the point between we know there's a problem and and we don't and and we don't have an answer for this, which leads to the uncertainty and the lack of information. And that's what's causing our emotional distress because we know that once we're given an answer, we tend to do better. Now, the the reality of this is I don't know if we will be given an answer to this. I mean, one day it might just kind of go away into, you know, and and if we said, okay, July 7th, everything's going to end, <laughs> right? That'd be awesome, but I don't think we're ever going to get that. And so... Um, until we get some more definitive information that, that time in between, just like you, you know, like the clients we work with at Weber County jail, the time when they know they're, they're screwed for a minute. Mm. And then when they go to court, that's, that's the time that these emotional regulation techniques seem to matter. The time between when you got hurt and when you seen your doctor, that's when these techniques seem to matter. And so they can all be pretty helpful right now. So, um, I mean, so just emotional regulation techniques in general, uh, basically what these are is just emotional regulation in general is just a person's ability to kind of engage in, in healthy strategies, healthy meaning that it's, it's going to, you know, positively kind of reap outcomes for you and then not cause harm to anybody else. Healthy strategies to manage uncomfortable emotions and stressful situations. And people who have good emotional regulation skills are able to control those urges we're talking about to kind of act impulsively or, or risky in ways during that emotional distress. So one of the things we're going to kind of focus on is specifically about how to deal with anxiety and what really, what really to do in that. Um, and I mean, this seems to be even more compounded. I think when you talk about our criminal justice friends, like if, if you have substance use issues or a sex offense, I mean, what impulsive or risky behaviors can you see, as a result of being on lockdown, you know, and losing your job and whatnot. It's those self-soothing type of behaviors, you know, like, uh, I mean, on, on probably the more minor level, like overeating, you know, uh, like comfort foods. I, I, I can tell you a lot of the guys I train jujitsu with that, you know, occasionally they'll, they'll show back up in training and uh, some of my friends, they've gotten chubby and, you know, I, I think it's a direct, you know, after some good natured ribbing, it's kind of like, you, you know what it's about. It's, you know, people eat to fill, to, to satiate that anxiety a little bit, but then maybe more on the, the, where it starts to become a problem, especially for court ordered clients is they'll get into substance use issues and, you know, uh, pornography when, when it comes to, you know, our, our sex offender population, those things that feel good right now. And, that I mean, it, it works, right? Those those are some very short-term, temporary emotional regulation techniques. You know, get high, get drunk. Uh, you know, have a baconator. Like <laughs> those types of things temporarily oh make you feel God, better. Oh my God, those are so good, yeah, really, you, dude. Yeah. Have you saw? Have you had the the breakfast baconator? No, what is oh, it? Oh my God! Does it, is it like a one of those McGriddles, but better? Like, well, does it yeah. have like the, that type With, of bun? Without the syrup, but. Just as Baconator is Baconator is so good. <laughs> Just as Bacon, so as Baconator good. as Baconator been, could be. Yeah, I've been impressed with Wendy's when with Wendy's breakfast, to be honest. So, yeah. But anyway, yeah. Well, I I was gonna say like um, 
so that's some of the negative stuff that we see the, you know, before we start to jump into the legit emotion regulation techniques, which I, I see you have uh, queued up to talk about in a second, it, it's important to recognize that when people are anxious, you know, they seek to establish some control back in their lives. They, they, they want to feel like they're doing something about it, taking an action. And, um, you, you and I actually have a, I think we have a, a client in common at Weaver County jail that we meet with. He's, he has a, he's going to prison soon. And each week that I meet with him, uh, I fill him in on what he can expect, you know, and what he can expect, uh, as far as inmate interactions, what he can expect in terms of most likely where he'll be housed and where he can do his treatment, what he can expect in terms of the program length duration, what, uh, the, the concepts that'll be covered, um, his projected level of risk, all these things seem to take his anxiety down a little bit. And he, he doesn't know fully like how long he's going to be down for causes him a ton of anxiety. But when I, when I help him focus on the, what he can control, it, it seems to give him a temporary reprieve. And I, I think that's the same kind of thing that we could do for COVID is there's a lot of variables out there. Lots, there's a lot to focus on, a lot going on. And it, if you can maybe create a list of the stuff that stresses you out, you know, just, you know, just jot down a list of everything on your mind that, that, that you feel you'd like to have some control over or more knowledge in, and then separate those out in terms of what you can control, what you can't control. And then maybe what you might have a little bit of influence in, but ultimately can't control. And, and if, if you can focus your behaviors and maybe ultimately these emotional regulation tactics that Mace is about to jump into, or you're about to, I'm talking about you like you're not here, that you're, <laughs> that you're about to jump into, um, you're going to have an easier time pulling them off because it'll be something that behaviorally you can actually move the needle on. So yeah, just want to, well, well, and it's too like, um, I mean that guy, he's, you know, I know which client you're talking about and he's a great example of, of this also like different information coming in to just like muddy the waters because I, I hear from him all the time about these other inmates that are talking to him and telling him all their horror stories about what's going on. And and so I'll talk to him and he feels better, you know, after I've talked to him. But then like inevitably somebody else talks to him and then he's like back back to it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like right. who are you gonna listen to? So these these multiple different sources about this, uh, I, I think increase that uncertainty and continue to cause you know, continue to make the problems for it. And l- reducing the uncertainty is is necessary to reduce the anxiety. And the depressive symptoms. You know, one thing that's kind of, uh, and I like where you're going with differentiating between things that I can control and things that I can't control, right? The problem with that is, well, what if this thing is really important, right? So, I, I mean, sometimes it's really easy. You know, I've, I've, whatever therapist is talking to you, counselor's talking to you, they'll just say, well, well, can you control that? Can you do anything about it? And then you say, well, no, I can't do anything about it. Well, why are you worried about yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Good. Well, because good. it's super important, jackass. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> I, I hate that, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. so So sometimes I think I think you have to recognize, look, um, you, you're going to worry about it. The end. Right? And, and just, just a clarification on this. When you think about anxiety, anxiety is a very uh, future-paced type of thought process. Okay? So it's it's... I have uh, worry about something that has not yet come to pass, 
and I don't have any information about it. And so worry is is almost like a it's almost a trick to our brain. We feel like if we worry about it, we're gaining ground on it, like yeah. we're problem solving. But you're not. I mean, it's just like revving your engine um, in neutral and expecting that thing to move anywhere. It's not, you know, in a car. It's not going to happen. So the, the – and then the opposite of that, which is rumination, right? Uh, rumination is chewing over things that have already happened and looking to the past. So, for example, let's say during this, during this point – I lost a really good job that, that came my way. Um, like, well, why well, I, I can't even speak about that. Right. Like, so, um, one of the things that, that I was, I was, ta- uh, uh, planning on doing when, when all this went down, it, it was crazy town because in, um, uh, let's see in March, I, I went out to, um, Indiana to go to a training for the matrix Institute and the matrix Institute is, you know, one of the foremost, um, evidence-based practices for drug and alcohol treatment. And I was going to be, um, I was, I was I tapped is going to be one of their master trainers. And there's only five master trainers in the whole world. And, um, and I was going to be doing, you know, training for a variety of places. And so I had to go through the, the process of what I had already done with an agency. And then I was going to go do a training. They were going to observe me. And so I was scheduled uh, in April to do training for the Indiana Department of, Ju- of, of Corrections, right? Or the, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so when all this went down, they canceled everything. They canceled all of their trainings, um, and they laid off two of their existing master trainers. And because I was the new kid on the block, they basically just said, sorry, buddy. Oh. And, and that was it, right? Now, now, rumination for that would be me continuing to just think about that and, and not being able to get over it, right? But, I mean, it's easy because it's just – I you know often have so many um, irons in the fire that uh, that or I'm spinning so many plates. It's just like okay, well, what's next? What am I going to do next? So it's easy for me to move on. But if I had staked everything into one career or one or I had one job, I think that would be easy to ruminate about. And then you're just constantly thinking about what you've lost, and that leads to a lot of depressive symptoms. So those are the most common sources of anxiety and depression. And um, and I and I think yeah, if we had more more certainty about these things that would certainly help, but we're just not going to have it. Um, and temporarily we really need to deal with some of these things as far as, as far as what, um, our clients can, or not our clients, but anybody, anybody listening to this can actually do to offset this. So typically when you, when you're introducing this, Jeff, like how do you introduce, um, cause one of the things we, you have to learn fundamentally before you do any of these things is a self-control technique, right? Self-control strategy, um, and typically, how do you introduce those before you start talking about the specifics of anxiety and depression and whatnot? How do you introduce like self-control strategies? I I like leading off with explaining what happens physiologically in the body when it comes to fear and and anxiety. You know, m- most people at this point, uh, clients, therapists, everybody c- kind of have a general idea of what the fight or flight response is, and you know, when you can explain that the fight or flight response doesn't just get tripped when you're facing off with a, you know, an axe wielding psychopathic tiger or something, you know, like that's, that's <laughs> some tiger. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hell of a tiger. It's a hell of a cat, kitty cat. Um, that, uh, that, that there's a lot you can do to manage the, the reactions that you're having. And, and, uh, oftentimes just bring up deep breathing. And when I talk about deep breathing, I really feel like I have to sell it a little bit because 
uh, maybe it's my own personal bias, but it just seems like some Mickey Mouse shit. Like, oh, you're going to tell me how to breathe? Thanks, bro. <laughs> you know, but like, I'll, I'll demo it with them, you know. Uh, you play a demo video. Yeah, I'll play it. I'll, I'll, get, I'll drop my LP demo tape about breathing. Uh, I'll do a, a, a three seconds in through my nose, hold for three seconds, three seconds out through my mouth. And if and it feels a little silly to do during a session with a client, but I, I think when you can, when I model that, it, it encourages them to do the same thing. And we'll, I'll, I'll talk about biofeedback and how you're, you know, if you can control your breathing, you're sending a message back to the autonomic nervous system, the part of your nervous system that you don't have control over. And breathing is like the only control switch that you consciously have. And so if, if you can, get them to get, get wrap their head around the idea that a lot of their anxiety is at some level, the fight or flight response. And that the only real physiological control mechanism they have over that is through their breathing. And you demo that with them. I, I feel like that's a good starting place to get, kind of get the ball rolling with the other techniques. So, so, I mean, I guess put more simply like the, the part of where the part of our brain that's leading to the anxiety, um, is is not is activated kind of in a different part that that we're we're not fully under that's you say autonomic it's not fully under our control right um it, it, it's more of a of a reaction to kind of what's going on you call it a reflex essentially and so you're saying the part of our brain that we do control that's the part that we want activated um, because we don't want to be making irrational or impulsive or risky decisions as a matter of emotional distress, right? So exactly. the breathing is is the, the one deliberate activity that we can do to start to activate the part of our brain that we want making the decisions, yeah? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, the, and and also, I like the, the thing that you said about paying attention to what happens to us physiologically because to me, I mean, <laughs> this sounds so lame, but like when I think about um, emotions, I just think about that that's just um, – you know, there's an energy that's associated with that in your body. And one way or another, it's going to manifest. Be that behaviorally or you're going to cry or so, something's going to happen. That's going to come out, right? And so paying it – and sometimes I don't have full control over that. Like so sometimes like if I'm clenching my fists or furrowing my brow or I feel tense in my shoulders or my heart's beating faster or I'm actually feeling an uh, increase in temperature – those are the physiological responses that we can pay attention to that just says we're experiencing an emotion. It just says, hey, dummy, pay attention because you're experiencing an emotion. You probably need to kind of figure out which emotion you're having before you can deal with it. So I think that's important, too. We're paying attention to our bodies and saying, yeah, what's really going on here? I, I am experiencing an emotion. What emotion is it? And then kind of moving on from there. Yep, it's like okay, I feel a tension in my chest. Uh, uh, I am have a, a headache. My you know, I'm feeling an elevation in my temperature. Okay, deep breath. And then that, that kind of puts you into a position to where you've gained some control back over your uh, level of functioning. You've got, the, you've got the part of your brain that is responsible for logic and decision-making reengaged. And, and that's where the application, or I guess the teaching of and then the application of uh, these self-control strategies can actually take place. Yeah, so... So the self-control, uh, I mean, real quick, and, and I mean, we'll, we'll probably get in more in depth into these. Just kind of the idea behind self-control is you want these to be simple. You you want them to be used, um, I mean, very quickly. And also, um, you don't want to have to, uh, you don't want to have to 
I guess, find yourself in a situation where you can't use, a, you know, a lot of people will say physical exercise, right? Well, I mean, what if I'm at my job and my boss is reading me the riot act? It's not like I'm going to bust out a bunch of push-ups in front of him or something like that. <laughs> so we want to have some techniques handy that, that we can, we can certainly kind of use in the moment. And so some of the ones that we, we utilize in our programming with clients, um, an easy one, like Jeff said, is just deep breathing, okay? And I, I don't know what type you use. I usually do a 646, so in mm. for six, held for four, out for six, right? Um, just to, th Those are really easy to remember, just some numbers that throw out at them. So I breathe in for six, I hold for four, and then I breathe out for six. Um, in through your nose, out through your mouth, right? Six, and, four, six. Right. Mm. And I mean, and you can do that because, of course, there's like, you, you you can do that, of course, you know, where it's it's a very um, exaggerated breathing, but mm -hmm. not necessary. You can just, you know, can't even hear that, right? I could just breathe in very calmly and right. then breathe out. And I think that's the fundamentals of all that. So, so and then we want to, again... There's little tricks, little some mental gymnastics to get the some deliberate activities to get your the part of your brain activated. Breathing is the simplest. Another one that that we uh, teach is to count. Okay. Now most of you have learned counting like, you know, you're pissed off or upset. Okay, count to ten, bro. Don't do that. Okay. The, um, and and if you think about this, it makes sense. I mean, if you think about when you were a kid. Like the first thing you'd learned how to do was count to ten, right? Yeah. So a kid runs up to you. I have kids, you know, they'll come up to me and like, Dad, I learned to count to ten. And then you crush their little souls by like, Oh yeah, well I can count to a hundred. And then you do <laughs> and then you, <laughs> that kid, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. But but I do I do um it's very easy. One of your guys seven out of ten. It's mindless. It's mindless activity, right? That's not really activating yep. a thought a uh, part of our brain that we want because it's now so automated. It's just so damn automated. So instead, we say count backwards, and counting backwards tends to to take more thought process. And then we also add another element to that. Like, what what else do we tell them to do? I say start at thirty and count backwards by three. Right. So the thirty, twenty-seven. 24, right? As I'm talking to you right now, I mean, I can do it with relative ease, but it takes more cognitive, you know, wherewithal to pull that off. Right. So that, so that's one thing that we, we encourage the clients to do is just, so that's one thing everybody can do, right? If you're having a moment that, that you're emotionally distressed and you're stressed out, um, we just want you to get through that moment. That's all we really want. And then come back to this and think about it in a more rational way. That's exactly what we want. Sometimes that lasts five minutes. Sometimes it lasts 20. But some of these techniques really work as far as that goes. So another one that we, um, that we try to get people to do is, is think of uh, pleasant imagery. Okay, And, and really, we, we try to say, think of a, of a memory that, that's very fond to you or you know, some place of comfort that... that you know, you can get your mind off this activity. It does we're kind of required to close your eyes and whatnot? Um, now, this is not the happy Gilmore happy place. You know, <laughs> go to your happy place with midgets on unicycles and all that. In fact, I would say, you know, especially for substance use clients, right. you likely have fond memories of using drugs and alcohol. Don't go there. I'm not, I'm not saying lose those memories. I'm just saying that's that's we're reinforcing 
um, something that we're trying to get away from, right? It wasn't in Happy Gilmore. Didn't they have like two pitchers of beer in that Happy Fantasy also? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and his girlfriend's holding them. And then yeah. remember Shooter comes in and just starts making out. Yeah. It <laughs> <laughs> goes dark real quick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and his reaction, his reaction exactly like yeah. that was when he was uh, mini golfing with Chubbs, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And then he just freaked, yeah, he out, freaks out beat that clown up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, so if you don't want to beat a clown up, yeah. don't do that. And, and that's what we're trying trying to avoid so and really what this is is trying to engage all your senses from a happy memory right just anything that you have that is a is a good memory and and the five senses are you know five four three two one is a really easy way to think about this and you close your eyes and you pay attention to five things that you can see uh four things that you can hear three things that you can feel two things that you can uh smell and one thing you can taste right and 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 really if I try to think about that and and really take the time to do that, you could do that in real time too if you needed to. Um, it, it's kind of hard to be in in the the part of your brain that we don't want working because you're really doing a lot of thought process at that point. Okay. Um, well, I mean it it tunes you into the here and now. Like if you're like like think about what what you were just saying, like the five things that you can see, four things that you can hear, three things that you can feel, two that you can smell, one that you can taste. You, oh, you were talking about anxiety and rumination earlier. You know, anxiety being a future-paced type of emotional symptom. You're worrying about something that hasn't happened yet, and then rumination. You're, 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 uh, you know, stressing over something that's already happened. And so when you when you tune into these five senses, and you know, kind of according to the way you described it. You're you're right here, right now. You're not ruminating, and you're not future focused anxiety, and and so when you're doing the pleasant imagery, uh, like like for me, uh, I, I, when I'm explaining this to clients, sometimes I need a little bit of help, and so I'll explain. Like for me, um, it was uh, quite a while ago at this point, but I my parents took me to Hawaii, and I I ended up wanting to get away from the resort. So I walked down the beach about a mile, like away from all the other hotels. And I found like this lava rock embankment. And I just decided to like lay down on the lava rock, kind of facing out towards the ocean. And it was like this little bay, like a little small bay. And so I'm laying down on this lava rock. You know, I felt like that hot, scratchy feeling on my back felt kind of nice. You know, I'm looking out into the, into the blue ocean, you know, blue sky, you know, sun was bright and shining and there were freaking sea turtles in the bay. It was amazing. I'd never seen sea turtles live before. Were those sea turtles bums? That bum, yeah. <laughs> I was actually hallucinating. Homeless people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was actually There's in downtown Ogden in, hallucinating. Yeah. I thought no, I was in Hawaii. No, Hawaii, yeah. dude. Hawaii yeah. is like, that's like a homeless capital of the world, yeah. dude. Is it? Oh, that's yeah, that's a place well, to be if you're yeah, homeless. Yeah, if you were homeless, yeah. like, go there. why not go there? Yeah. And so uh, anyway, if you, you get the idea. I, I go through the, <clears throat> the the five senses, five, four, three, two, one, uh, based on this this Hawaii experience. And like I, I set my clients up for that so that they kind of get the idea of what to do. And so a lot of people, and maybe it's because I set the stage with my Hawaii example, but a lot of people pick examples having to do with nature. You know, people will talk about, you know, being in a log cabin in wintertime and going through the five senses that way. Uh, I, I mean, I don't I mean you probably you might teach it different than me, but uh, what, when you teach the visualization, like what do you what do you talk about or what do you try to get the clients to do? Dude, I suck at visualization. So, um, so I'm actually I'm just not very good at that one. Like, and I and I can readily admit it, you know. Um, 
I, I, uh, just because, well, well, and that's kind of the beauty of this, these self-control techniques is we give you more than one. So you want to use one that tends to work best for you. I mean, I, I try to think about, um, I, I try to think about, you know, uh, certain times that, uh, especially like with my kids that I've had a lot of fun, but it just never really, um, it's just hard for me, the visualization piece. And I, and so I kind of tell clients that I, I'm not very good at this, but I do kind of read through, this is what you, it's intended to do. Um, the more here and now ones, kind of the grounding technique in the moment, that's typically what I do. Mm. So I kind of pay more attention to what I can see around me and, and I do it in real time. And then I give them that example, but then I kind of ask for examples from them too. So, um, but that's kind of the beauty of this is we don't, you, you want to admit, you know, and I, and I always say, you know, give it like the three episode rule. Um, I don't know. It's like, there's so many damn shows out there right now. Oh yeah. And like, yeah. Watch this, watch this. I'm like, Oh my, they probably all suck. But it, you know, I always give it three episodes. If somebody is like dead set on, you need to watch this. I'll watch three episodes of it. If by three episodes, I'm not hooked. I'm done. I'm done watching that. And I think that's just kind of an analogy. I, I think you use this as many times to determine whether or not the self-control technique is going to work for you. And if not, move on. We have a variety of them, right? Because another one that we talk about is 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 self-talk, right? Um, right? What are some what are some things that you can tell yourself that that are gonna you know at least help get you through the next? And these have to be true statements too. You know, you can't tell yourself, "Well, there is no pandemic." No, well, <laughs> okay, that's that's not serious. And you know, a, a more reliable and and realistic statement like, "Yeah, this sucks." Um, but, um, I've, I've dealt with way worse things than this. And one way or another, I'm probably going to get through this. Okay. That's a much more rational self-talk statement that a person can believe and hear about those things. Um, so kind of coming up with some self-talk phrases that you can keep handy and ready to, to implement. Again, th these are not the, the one thing is, is I, I don't want you to just think that, okay, now I'm going to say this and everything's going to get better. No, that's, that's not the case. Remember, what we're trying to do is activate the part of your brain that's going to help do some thinking. And our, our metric goes from not, I feel like shit right now, and so I want to feel, and then I say these things to myself, and then everything's perfect. No, 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 no. You feel like shit right then, and you feel a little less shitty. That's about as good as it's going to get as far as using these techniques. And that's all That's all you, you can ask for is just a little bit of improvement to the degree that I don't make a risky decision. Um, and then the last one is just taking a break. You know, taking a break, a legitimate activity that is going to get your attention. That's one I use quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I have a, I have a, I have a game on my phone that I like to pay attention to for ten minutes at a time or something like that. I don't care what it is, so long as it grabs your attention. And I mean, you got to be serious about this. Again, you can't be like, "Well, I built this work on my stamp collection." Like, do you have a stamp collection? No. I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> that ain't gonna work, buddy. So, um, so. Those are kind of the, the techniques that we talk about, okay? Uh, breathing, uh, counting backwards, pleasant imagery, self-talk, and taking a break. Any of those things can be worked with in, the, in this context, yeah? Absolutely. So the more kind of fine-tuning as, as, as far as the anxiety and dealing with the, the anxiety, um, one thing, again, that, that, as always, kind of the steps to this is – you know, I, I, I always just open it up and I ask clients questions like, okay, well, um, in the past when you've had anxiety and fear, um, what, you know, what are, what are the consequences of that? What, what are some bad decisions that you've made 
as a result of experiencing these, right? Um, that kind of gives some buy-in. So that's something everybody can think about listening to this is in the past, what, what type of decisions have I made when I'm feeling fearful or when I'm feeling anxious? And, and a lot of times it, I mean, it almost like uh, reminds me of, because it's, it's almost Halloween, so there's like haunted houses and stuff. And like if you think about being scared, like legitimate fear, typically what, what's, a, what's a pretty normal human response you see from that? Oh, retreat. Yeah. yeah. Retreat or what else? Fight. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I remember <laughs> one time I was at, a, I was at a haunted house and I was with, my, uh, with one of my buddies. His name is Pat. And a guy jumped out and scared him. And, um, and he punched the dude like and we, we, I thought we were going to get into a lot of trouble. We were like barely out of high school and, uh, he hurt the guy pretty bad. And, um, I mean, not funny at all, but I'm just saying like, I did the same thing. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it just gets like, it's an immediate, we, we are more comfortable with that response as a matter of, um, and that, that was an impulsive decision. Like you look back on that mm-hmm. and I'm sure like, you didn't even have the time or the the mental wherewithal to think, okay, this guy just jumped out at me. He's probably dangerous. I know I'm in a haunted house, but that knife looks real. He's going to kill me. Okay, I'm going to punch him. Like that. It was automatic. Right, right, right. More of a reflex. And so, so those are the type of things that we want to just outline and say, yeah, I mean, these are the type of decisions I make when I'm anxious or fear, fearful, right? So we go through steps, and, and in this and in this uh, situation, one thing we'd say is, all right, so we have, you know, uh, three easy steps, which makes it really simple. And first step is decide if you feel anxious or fearful and why. Um, going back to what Jeff said, do you, are you noticing things? Like when you feel anxious, Jeff, what do you notice going on in your body? Get like a, like butterflies in my stomach and yeah, kind of sweaty palms, that type of feel. Yeah, it's almost like I'm excited, but in a bad way. Yeah, because it's like a shitty excitement. Yeah. And, and look, hey, this is way different than um, – have you seen those movies like uh, – what was that? Paranormal Activity is one. That's not like a scary movie. That's like a startling movie is what they should that have a whole – That doesn't count, yeah. Yeah, they should have a whole different category like startling movies because, I mean, you just make loud noises and throw stuff at a screen like, whoa, like that's startling – that's not scary though. That's not fear evoking. Cheap so, tactics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not really scary. So, I, I think when I'm fearful, I, I, I experience the same thing. Like I, I I'm, ner- I mean, obviously nervous, but that makes me tense, and and I'm certainly, yeah, I, I fear all those same things. Well, on that on that first skill step too, it's saying, uh, and and why? Like why is it that like wh- like what's triggering the fear? Because like. That'll happen a lot is sometimes the thing that's causing us to feel fear. Well, sometimes it's quite obvious, but a lot of times it isn't, you know, just with like COVID, you have a, you know, I mean, just sort of a sense of dread or discomfort of a whole variety of things. And it, it might be something specific that is triggering the fear, but like actually honing in on the exact source at that point in time is a uh, kind of critical for that first step and your, and your body, the, the physiological symptoms sort of guide the way in alerting you to that yeah so so uh, tracing it back to that is really important so i i can kind of explain okay here's the connection here and then step two is to identify self-control strategies to manage your feelings so we just gave you the list of those um and then step three then is pick the best way and do it so 
one thing I'd say is, I mean, it's not really up for up to us to kind of determine for whoever's listening to this to pick the strategy for them. They they need to pick the self control strategy that they think would work best and then do it. Um, and and again, it th- this is kind of how I think. Think about it like this: if you know your your fear level when you punch that dude. If I put you on a scale from zero to a hundred, Jeff. Um, and you know, zero was no fear whatsoever. 100 was more fear than you could ever imagine. You never even experienced that level of fear. Like at what point on that scale, do you feel like you're going to become physically violent towards another person? Probably 80. Okay. So an 80, so that's pretty high, right? So now again, I know we don't have these dials or these things in our head, but just conceptualize it like that. And one of these techniques it's not going to take you from an 80 to a zero. The technique is going to take you from an 80 to a 75, right? Right. And and so you're still going to be anxious, which is okay. But you're not anxious to the degree that you're making bad decisions that result in negative consequences in your life and maybe hurt those around you or even yourself for that matter. So so that's really, I, I think, the lesson from this this discussion is, I mean, as hard as times are right now and all the uncertainty that we're dealing with, um, you know, there's going to be some times that you're going to worry about these things and maybe that's okay. That's just fine. Uh, give yourself permission to worry about these things. Um, but if you, it feels to the point that you're getting to that, that, that point that you feel out of control, this is where a self-control strategy is necessary. Just, just so we're not making impulsive and risky decisions that, that, you know, bring negative things into our own lives. Absolutely. Anything else you want to say on this? Uh, I think that's probably a good place to stop. Okay, cool, cool. All right, well, we hope you all enjoyed this. Uh, that, was a good, that was a good talk about that. For sure. Damn, 53 minutes already. It's no Rogan podcast, but hey, <laughs> what can you do? Okay, guys, well, we'll see you, uh, we'll see you next time. Any, any parting words, Jeff? Goodbye. <laughs> Folks, and that about does it. Another episode in the tank for the Gorilla Social Work Podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. Um, hopefully some of the techniques and, and, uh, and uh, strategies that we discussed are going to be helpful for you to kind of navigate these times. Um, hope everybody's safe. We look forward to hearing from all of you soon. Look forward to the comments. Um, hopefully the audio quality was a little bit better this time. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Everybody stay safe. 